Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Okay, Mark Gellard's the next edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. And this time you're in beautiful Nottingham, England. What are you there for, Mark? <laughs> hey, Candy. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are in, as you said, the beautiful Nottingham. <laughs> yeah, and it's very hot right now. It's about 27, 28 degrees, I think. So very warm weather for England, unusual, but definitely not complaining. Up here for the, I think it's the Rossay 250 event, WTA. Mm -hmm. the tournament started today when we're recording this um, and we play tomorrow. So um, against Olivia Gadecki. Yes. Australia. And do you know anything about Olivia? We don't really know a lot. Um, I know she's a good player. She's had some good results. She came through qualifying this week, had two wins there. So obviously, when you're playing on grass, it's always dangerous to, to play a qualifier because they've had those two matches, whereas you haven't really had any time on it. So um, mm. it'll be a, we're ready for anyone, but it'll be a tricky match, I'm sure. We've got to be ready from the first ball all the way to the end. Yeah, I was telling you just before we went on air that I've been um, commentating on Sir Togenbosch in the Netherlands this week. And I've just done the match between Victoria Azarenka, who's the third seed, and Natalia Stefanovic, who's come through qualifying. And it was a really, really close match. Stefanovic had had two matches under her belt and it was clear that she was tuned in. So it's always a danger, isn't it, for the seeded player who's coming in fresh. That was Azarenka's first match on grass in two years. And she got over the line, but it was close, faced five set points in that opening set and then won 6-3 in the second, having taken the first set on a tie break. So there are some danger signs early on. Yeah, absolutely. I think grass is one of those, those surfaces that is a little bit of an equaliser and you'll see a lot of upsets on grass. And then obviously when you play, for example, for the British girls, they've already been playing on this usually for a lot longer than the foreigners have been. So I think um, it's 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 a surface that you have to be really really ready from the start. You know, like I said, when you play the qualifiers, got those two matches under their belt. They're confident. They're feeling good. The momentum's going. So yeah, we have to come out and be ready right away. We take a set to get to get going in. How do you prepare for the grass, given that it's so different from the clay, and you've only really just finished on the clay courts? Is there physical? preparation that you have to do to get the knees the hamstrings the quads ready good question i think one of the interesting things with grass that i think if you don't play on different surfaces a lot so you know talking with magda when you play on clay it's obviously a physically demanding surface there's a lot of longer rallies a lot of running um so the cardio is tested also because the ball bounces higher you're playing a lot more balls up around your shoulders which requires a little bit more physicality to hit the ball what you find with the surf with a clay court surface is that the, the surface doesn't help you. So the ball is going to hit the surface on a clay court and, and not do a lot. You have to really put a lot of energy into the ball to get something out of it. Whereas grass is kind of the opposite. If you use the court to help you, it will help you. Mm. But what's interesting on a grass court is, is it does fatigue you, but more in a power endurance way, because when you're playing on grass, anyone that knows you know playing whether you play football on it or, or just bouncing a ball on it the energy when you energy of that ball is absorbed by the grass and the ball doesn't bounce back as high now imagine that it's the same thing for when you run on grass that when you land and put all your energy sprinting on a grass court the court the surface doesn't give any pushback to you 
So it absorbs all your energy and doesn't give you anything back. So you feel very fatigued. And, and what we use the way that, that you describe that is that it requires a lot of power endurance because you constantly have to create your own power or surface will not give you anything back. And then what about time in the gym? Is Magda doing anything differently than she does normally to prepare for grass? Because you have to stay much lower as well. Knowing those things about the surface, a lot of players will find that the, the fatigue is different, but what you have to do, like you've said, there's one is you'll find a lot of players having to stay a little bit lower with the legs. A lot of hamstring work, so it's the eccentric movements mm -hmm. that on the court that really are going to fatigue you. So you have to do a lot more things in the gym to kind of overcome those during this period of time. You know, a lot of eccentric exercises, whether it's, a, you know, deadlifts, um, things of this nature, because like I said, the court takes so much out of you here and you'll find right away. I mean, I hit with Magda four or five days ago for the first time on the grass. And the next day when you wake up, you feel it, you, you know, you played on grass, all the yeah. hamstrings and your, and your glutes and everything there. You really know you've been on a grass court. I always remember um, just playing on grass when I was younger, which we did a lot, uh, as you did as well, I'm sure, um, playing in the British juniors. But my knees always hurt and I never had problems with my knees and it was usually both of them. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um, this is where you tend to see a lot of knee injuries um, is on the grass courts, uh, just because players are putting a lot more stress onto their lower body. And again, it just keeps coming back to me for that, that the court just absorbs everything you put into it. So you're not getting that nice pushback from a clay or a hard court. So your knees, you know, are, are, it's like the shock absorber on your knee is just taking all the uh, all the pressure. So it's definitely a challenge surface from that. And, and it gives you a different perspective when you look at the players at certain volume. For example, Pete Sampras, they say he doesn't run that much. You know, the amount of power endurance you need to serve and volley for five sets is incredible. I mean, it's just sprint, serve, sprint, serve and you're landing on your left leg if you're a right-handed service. There's a lot of power going off that side as well. Exactly. If you were to describe your perfect grass court female player, let's start with the serve. Who out of the current crop? i put you on the spot here. This is going to be a tricky one, but who of the current crop would you pick for the first serve? Had Barty been playing, I would have put mm. her in there, but we'll, we'll, she's not, so I can't have that one. <laughs> I think that, I think that um, honestly, looking at it now, Ryber Keener's serve is yeah. just so on a grass court. I think that she would be one I would, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good servers, but I probably just think her service mm. with her height and power. I think that's a good call, especially a Wimbledon champion as well. So we've got uh, Rubikina's first serve. What about the second serve? Is it more important to kick the ball or slice the ball? Is it more important to uh, go to the forehand a little bit more or stay to the backhand like Iga Sviantek generally does on the second serve? I think um, I think Iga's serve would be great, but I, I you know what I I think I'd probably just take Rybakina's serve on on everything okay. for this. There's a lot of good there's a lot of good servers on the women's side right now. I mean Petra Kvitova always have to kind of Ooh, yes in that conversation. Yeah, um, that's a know, good call. The lefty serve, and she's always done really well at Eastbourne and Wimbledon. Exactly. So I think that yeah, she's she's one you definitely have to put into that conversation. But yeah, I think I'll I'll stick with my original there and keep okay. it simple and go with with Robert Otherwise, Keener. we have to go for an ambidextrous player, which could be a bit tricky. Murphy Jensen was that? Yeah, ambidextrous, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that both the Jensen brothers actually could play with yeah. both hands. They were quite impressive. Yeah. Okay, so let's go now to the forehand. Are you going to go with the Tatiana Maria slice? Are you going to go with a, a flatter forehand? Where are you going to go? On a grass court, from the baseline, I, I I've kind of sort of 
I would lean to honestly saying that on uh, Elena Rybakina has a great form, but I think I would actually pick Petra. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so we're going Petra Kvitova. So we're bringing in our ambidextrous player right now on the forehand. I think that you'd struggle to find any coach on the tour that would tell you that Petra doesn't have one of the best technical swings off both sides mm. and the clearest ball strikes. Yeah. Oh, I don't think many would disagree. Beautiful. Absolutely. Um, and she could win Eastbourne again this year, couldn't she? And you'd actually put a she's a, a dark horse to win Wimbledon. You can't really bet her against her on the on the grass. No, on a grass court, she's just one. I don't think anyone mm. wants to play her. Okay, so we've done the forehand and the serves. What about the backhand? Going to go for a slice or a topspin? Steffi Graf was still playing. I think you'd want to take her. <laughs> I think that, you know, with the, with the, with the backhand, um, there's so many girls that have great backhands. I think Krejcikova has a great one. Yep. I, I think off that side, I'd probably take Iga. Okay. Iga with the backhand. Even though she doesn't slice very much, she pretty much hits topspin at all times. It's a, it's a tricky one. I would... I think I'd probably take, I, I, yeah, I think I'd go with Eager because I think she can do so many things off that side. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take Eager on that one. I thought, I, I just, this is kind of a, a throwing one out there as well, but I think Belinda Bencic has a great backhand. Oh, yeah, she, I think she has a better backhand than forehand, and I think her drive backhand volley oh, is the off best. the charts. Yeah. yeah, okay, good. I like that. So we'll, we'll throw in Eager. She has just won Roland Garros for the third time, so I think that's a pretty good pick. And I do like the way she hits open stance backhand. She's got so much power off that side. It's amazing. I don't know how she generates it. She's one of those people you feel, and I know her coach and her fitness trainer, and I have talked to them in the past. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that the general consensus is, is that she probably would have been a superstar in whatever sport she chose to play. Really? Yeah. She's that just, athletic. She's so athletic. I mean, if you watch her doing her warm-ups and... and the way she just moves and her intensity, I think she's kind of unique in that side. I'm always interested by player genes because a lot of players, you read their bios and you can see mum was a heptathlete and dad was a, a cross-country skier. And I don't know what the case is in Iga's uh, family history. Do you have any idea? You know what? I actually don't. But I was having this conversation with Mega the other day and I sort of asked her, you know, what do you think talent means? And we kind of went back and forth about what it meant. But I think... For me, it was always the best analogy or the best description of talent was just how quickly you learn something. Mm. So if you and I took a piano lesson for the first time with the same teacher and had exactly the same lesson, um, and the first thing we had to learn was the chopsticks song, yeah. which I know on the piano. Uh, <laughs> if it took you two hours to learn that and it took me only 30 minutes, then yeah. that would maybe be that I'm more talented whatever that means, um, than you are in, in the piano. Or I think that's piano. fair enough. I was terrible I think, at piano. Yeah, I, no, I can't play it. I, I've heard <laughs> about it. I don't know anything. But I think for me, the best description of talent was how quickly you can learn something. Yeah. If we both learn the same coach, the same trainer, or the same music teacher, we would. I think you're not wrong there, because if you tell someone to hit sort of a, maybe a short angled forehand, you know, some people can do it quickly, can't they? Because they've got the hand skills and the brain works with the hand as well. And some people take a lot longer or they just never get it. Exactly. And, you know, people say sometimes that is coaching overrated or if you should, what you should do is just let the players all practice together and not give interfere with anything and just let them play points. But coaching is really the best leveler. It levels the playing field because not everyone will get it at the same speed. Some people 
will get it quicker than others because they are more talented. And that's mm. why a coach comes in and helps to bring level that playing field. And I suppose that would explain, wouldn't it, the success early of Coco Goff and, and Amira Andreva, who we were talking about last week. They just seem to get it really fast. Exactly. Some people learn things, for example, if you ask them to throw a ball or kick a ball or swing a racket, whereas others may be more talented intellectually. You mm. explain them a mathematical formula and how to apply it. They get it quicker. Others don't. So I think there's many different ways you can be talented. You can be, I think some players I watch, I think, um, are very talented um, intellectually on the ball. They know how mm. to handle them. Know they understand the game, which shot to hit from which, you know, for, for me, Mira Andreva, when we played her a few weeks ago in Madrid, she was precociously good. I'm not sure I've used that the right way. I think that's a good word for her, but, but she's not precociously in your face, is she? She just looks like she belongs. She has such a great awareness of the game. And you say, there's no way, and I'm sure the coaches have done an unbelievable job with that, but there's no way she's learned something different to what all the other players that have been doing this for 30 years have learned. She just was told one time, when you're in this position, you should do this most of the time. And she said, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. And that really is talent. I actually uh, commentated on her match against Coco Goff, the Battle of the Teenagers for Eurosport. And it was quite interesting because she obviously took the first set on a tie break and then started to get a bit ratty when the, she lost the first game, I think, of the second. And it was interesting how the, we hadn't seen any sort of negative behaviour at all from her. And then she started to just get a little bit flustered, a little bit um, antagonised, and uh, everything sort of fell apart. And I think it was more of a mental fatigue, perhaps, than a physical one, given everything she'd gone through. Yeah, I mean, there was a few moments against us, actually, where she looked... She got a little bit, yeah, like you said, a bit frustrated, a bit annoyed. I mean, there was a few times she'd miss her first serve and then bang her racket after missing her first serve, which is something that you do. And and I sort of said to Ian, you know, you can still see she's 15 years old. And that's normal. That's what most 15-year-olds do. Of course, you, of course. You, you know, it, it is a normal thing. And I think um, she must have been exhausted as well to do what she did, you know, so quickly there and in on that stage. Um but yeah, like a Martina Hingis, you know, that you realise what they did at such a young age, that the physical part is is good. But like even with Martina, she had the physical part, she had the mental part, but she also she had the intellectual understanding as well of the game. And that's something that usually takes a long time to learn and she seems to have it in abundance already. So let's do the intellectual part of our perfect player since you brought up Martina Hingis, who was one of the best. And you should know because you were a hitting partner, weren't you, for quite some time. So we've got um, the serves, the forehand, the backhand. What about the, the mental side, the intellectual side? I think right now for me, I think the ego would probably be the top of the tree there. I think it's an understanding of, she has a very good understanding of what shot to play in each situation, but she also understands momentum. And I think that's something really hard to get players to understand is, okay, this is the moment in the match where, I've, I might not have played well, but for the next five minutes, I'm not going to miss. Um, I think that a player that does that extremely well is Emma Raducanu. Mm. And I think that was what, that is a, a quality that she has that a lot of people didn't mm. or don't appreciate how good she does that. She knows when, this is when I need to be aggressive. This is when I need to lock up the doors and not miss for the next 10 minutes. She feels momentum. She feels the momentum and then knows how to play with it. So I think that that's a really unique skill to have. There's a certain Serbian male that seems to have that as well, don't they? 
Yeah, he's pretty good at it as well. Um, (laughs) And again, it's like, yes, I think he was down in that final 4-1 in the first set. He was, that's right. Just one break, but still. Yes, but he just sort of, he saw he held his serve at 4-2 and said, okay, you're going to have to play two really good service games if you want to get to the end of this set. He just keeps asking questions, but he knows when is the time to maybe, I think in that second set, he sort of got a little bit more aggressive. That was the time to be aggressive. Whereas in the first set at 4-2 down, he kind of went, all right, I'm not playing great right now, but beat me. Mm. And I think that you, it takes a special player to recognize the situation and then apply it. And that's what Iga does, doesn't she? Because she was a breakdown in the third set in the Roland Garros women's final against Karolina Mukova. And you could just never, ever rule her out. She's always got another gear. Well, for me, the game, when I was watching that, she was up 2-0 in the third, Mukova. And she didn't, I think Iga played a pretty solid game at 2-0 serving. And Mukova didn't play the best game. I thought that was the moment. I think that that was the moment, having just won the second mm. and going to love in the third. That's where she had to try and find another break there. Or at least play a very tough game. And that game was too easy. Iga won that game too easily. And then you could just feel that Iga started to say, OK, I'm back. Yeah, the tide is turning. All right, so we've got Eager as the, the mental side of your player. So I guess lastly is the volleys. Would you have the same person for forehand and backhand volley? Mm, that's a good question. I think, um, well, let me ask you this. Who, who would you pick for the volleys? Probably, um, I mean, Onstjabur's got to be up there. I think Karolina Mukova is a really good volleyer. Um, I think her first volley is probably the best on the WTA tour. And the first volley for me is the hardest one because obviously you're closer to the service line. You could even be playing balls off your shoelaces. The second volley, the closer one to the net is usually easier. So I think I'd probably go for Mukova, actually. Yeah, it's funny because I was going to say Mukova or Krejcikova. Yep, she's got very good volleys as as well, having been such a great doubles player. Exactly. I think she knows her way around the net really well. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that I would have picked one of those. I might pick Kajikova for the smash because I think her first step is really quick and she always gets right underneath the ball and in a great position for the smash. I always thought for a swing volley, Serena had one of the best. But since Serena's gone, I would have picked Belinda. Yeah, I think Belinda Bencic has an absolute nails on swing volley. All right, so we've got everybody. We've got our perfect player. Perfect player. I, I think you probably should have picked Magda for every part of that. Just about to say that, that that whole player we picked is embodied by Magda. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That's a good answer, coach. Good answer. If she's um, listening now, I don't. I won't get any uh, hearing <laughs> later on. So I was just looking there. Grass court season's five weeks long, which is unbelievably short, isn't it? Do you think there's any way that it could be longer? Would that be a good idea? Are you happy with the length of the grass court season? Logistically, it's hard to make it longer because obviously, usually in England, the weather struggles and the courts... You know, if you look at the, the courts at Wimbledon after those two weeks, they're completely destroyed. Mm. So I think it's hard to find. You'd have to find more venues if you wanted to have it. I remember the year that they had the Olympics right after Wimbledon and the courts looked completely different. You know, yeah. so it's tough. No, I think the players are pretty happy with this. This length, I think um, it's a short period of time. And so is clay. Clay's slightly longer, but yeah, grass is definitely the shortest one. So I think people are usually pretty happy to get back on the hard courts after this. And your schedule, you're playing Nottingham uh, this week. Is it Birmingham and Eastbourne? And obviously, depending on how you get on. Yeah, that's the plan right now. But we are we are being, um, I suppose, you know, based on what we talked about last time, trying to sort of 
see how things go week to week and make the right decision based on what Meg feels is best for her preparation going into Wimbledon, really. And this is probably a stupid question because if you're in Rome, you can go sightseeing. If you're in Madrid, more sightseeing. What do you do in Nottingham? Yates's bar or... Um... <laughs> There's, you know, there a few people, we've done it before, they have the whole Robin Hood stuff up here. So you can go and see the castle and all that kind of stuff up here. And I do, someone did tell us yesterday they have the oldest inn slash bar in England, which is here, which built in the 11th century, I think. So, I, I, yeah, but uh, I definitely don't think it's quite the same as the Vatican. <laughs> well... I think uh, the organisers of the Nottingham tournament would be very insulted now, Mark. So um, well, I apologise for that. You've just messed your scheduling up and practice courts for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We'll be we'll be on the back courts all week now. And uh, what about you? Are you refreshed? You had some time off in between the clay and grass season. Do you feel like you're ready to go for sort of part three, I suppose? We've had the hard court season. We've had the clay court season. Now we're on the grass before we get back to hard. Yeah, I think it was really nice that for both Magda and I to have a week off after um, after Roland Garros. It obviously wasn't as, as we'd like, but I think she's come back, she's playing well. And I think for me, the goal is always to learn from the clay, how to use your game better, try to learn as much as you can and implement it on the grass. And then once the hard court starts, to try and put pieces together and, and keep keep rolling. Because uh, I think it's I think it's a really, there's a lot of opportunities right now. On the women's side, you do seem to have those three or so players at the top, you know, Rybakina, Sabalenka, Iga, that have separated themselves. But after that, I think there's a lot of opportunities for, but but everyone's going to feel that, you know, there's yeah. there's there is a lot of opportunities. Yeah. But um, yes, I think it's exciting, and I know Magda enjoys the grass. I think a lot of players enjoy the feeling of being back on the, being in England. There's something special about the grass because you don't get to be on it very much. And any doubles in the future? I presume she's going to play doubles at Wimbledon. We were going to play this week, but um, with Bernarda, Magda's good friends with Bernarda Pera, but she she had elected not to come. She had a good run in Paris, so she elected not to come here this week. So I believe next week in um, Birmingham we will be back on the doubles court with her. But they've done well in the past, so I think they and they're very good friends. I think they made the the, the semis of Miami this year, and they've made the semis of the French Open years past. So lots of opportunities in the doubles as well and just finally in between the clay and the grass there was some time off Magda obviously went and had a bit of a rest and then you're practicing on the grass how do you organize where to practice and who to practice with so it's always a little bit tricky uh, on the grass because like I said there's a limited number of grass courts in the world and in England the National Tennis Centre in England is um, it's not the most open to having foreigners come and use their courts so it makes things tricky. So we were very fortunate that um, we were able to get in contact with a club in St. George's Hill, which is a beautiful private club in England, where they were kind enough to let us come and use their courts for a few days while we were down in London, because um, my sister actually lives in Wimbledon. So I stay with her, which makes things nice to stay down there for a few days. So that was good. But yet it is more challenging. I think, you know, usually on the clay or the hard courts, you can always find somewhere where you can get a court on your own for two hours and do what you want. It's a lot more challenging on the grass courts. You're usually sharing a court or getting with another player. So you have to be ready to make the most of that time on the court. And um, and that's why playing doubles can also be useful because you get that extra match time. All right. Well, we wish you all the best of luck in Nottingham and we'll catch up perhaps in Birmingham next week. Mark Gellard, speak to you very soon. Thanks a lot, Kenny. Thanks everyone for listening. 